0: Well, in our study in Acts, uh, we've been looking at the very first Christian church council between the Syrian Antioch Church, represented by Paul, Barnabas, and the Apostle Peter, as I just mentioned, and Apostle Peter, among others. Uh, We don't know the names of the other people who came out with them, but a number traveled from the uh, Antioch Church. And between the Antioch church and the Jerusalem church, the original church. Now, we do not know how many of the original disciples and apostles were still active in the church at this time. And these are little things I like to know. I like to know, were they still there? Were they still doing this? And yet, obviously, it's not important for us to know these things. Who was left? At this time, 18 years after its founding on that uh, Pentecost, following the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, they may have scattered. We know, for a fact, history records that all of the apostles and many of the disciples of Jesus left Jerusalem for the missionary fields of the entire known world, and they really did make it to every place in the world. Uh, such was their their faithfulness and zeal in spreading the gospel. We know, for instance, that Peter had already ministered in Samaria, in Caesarea, uh, and it is a fact that he was living in Syrian Antioch, a Gentile area, when Paul and Barnabas returned from their first missionary trip that went to Cyprus and Galatia. Now, we don't know if Peter was living there, because scripture doesn't tell us, before Paul and Barnabas left, and yet I perhaps think that if Peter had been living there, he might have joined that uh, missionary trip. I have preached previously about where all the apostles were said to have ministered through their secular um, through secular and church histories because none of it's met, except that what we've covered so far has been mentioned in scripture. We don't know from scripture where any of these people except Peter Paul ministered. It, the rest is left. Bartholomew luckily we have church historians and we're going to be looking at a church historian today to ex- explain some of what was going on at this time in the Jerusalem Church, but Scripture is silent on it, and it's things I want to know. And believe it or not, I went looking for a bunch of stuff this week, and was largely unrequited. I don't, it just people don't ask the same questions of history as I seem to ask, and I'm quite quite surprised at that. Now, my caveat on uh, all of these histories that. I look at is that they are not scripture. So if I do bring them up, remember they are not a teaching from God. They're man's histories. Uh, They're done. We're going to look at something that both Josephus and Eusebius wrote. Eusebius was the church historian of uh, the 250s to 300 AD. Josephus was a Roman Jewish historian who was catering To the Roman court back in Rome on what he wrote. That said, he is not generally favorable to Christians. And when I quote him, keep it in mind that he's writing something to put Christians in a bad light, and it does not do that, okay? It backs up what we know. Eusebius. Uh, is working 200 years later than Josephus, and largely are relying on people like Josephus's histories to compile a church history. So, these historians, like I say, these are not scripture. The book of Acts does not record, well, scripture does not, as I said, record anybody's death except. James, the brother of Jesus, in here. Paul, who was traveling for all intents and purposes with his biographer, Luke, okay, his death is not recorded either. Uh, we do not truly know that he died in Rome as, uh, at the same time as Peter, as history suggests. We do not know that he did not make it to Gaul or France like he wished to do. Scripture does not record it. Secular histories or tradition does give us an inkling of that. But it's not a teaching, it's not a preaching, because it is not scripture. It makes me wonder, when I think about their deaths not being recorded, or, or no future mention of some of these apostles, uh, if it's because in God's eyes, Christians do not die. Okay? Okay? They just go from life to life everlasting with the Lord. But as I said, the one early leader of the church that we know never left Jerusalem was James, the brother of Jesus. And he's also the only one the scripture records the death of. Today in our study in Acts, Paul, Barnabas, and Peter have concluded their testimony of the Holy Spirit's work through them among the Gentile nations. And I'll briefly re-read that. The apostles and elders, and this is starting in verse 6 of uh, chapter uh, 15, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter of Gentile outreach. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you Know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their heart by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test? among the Gentiles. And today's reading is Acts 15, 13-21, which picks up right there. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simon, that's Peter to you, Simon is what we usually know him as, but uh, Simon has related how God first... In- Uh, visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from, the old, from old. Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. As we get into this today, my first question is, you know, who's James? Well, throughout scripture, James is consistently identified as the brother of the Lord. Now, Commentaries were filled, and you've probably heard all these things yourselves, with scholars insisting that saying he was the brother of Jesus could mean that he was a cousin or a close relative. This is what scholars do, and uh, this is how scholars get grants. This is how they make their money, okay? By debating these things. Scripture attests, and it's been going on for 2,000 years, mind you. People have been discussing this since this was written down. And uh, Scripture attests that James was the brother of Jesus. This is what the Holy Spirit has chosen for us to know. I just want to put this really simply. I'm not going to do any speculating on who they were in relationship to Jesus. The Scripture, God tells us it was the brother of Jesus. Scholars, scholars, who have studied this for 2,000 years, the best they know is that he's a brother of Jesus. So we're not going to play any games with words and try and figure out were they older brothers of Jesus, which doesn't make them brothers at all. If Joseph had had a... These are the things that are argued. If he had had an earlier wife. So, James... For all my purposes, is the brother of Jesus. Now, were Jesus and James particularly close? Okay. Mark 13, um, uh, Mark 3, starting in verse 13, has this And he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. Let's read that one more time. And he appointed twelve, that they might be with him, and they might he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, who he, he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the names Bonerges, which is sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus and Simon the uh, Canaanitean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, And the crowd gathered again so they could not even eat. And here's what I'm getting at. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Okay. Well, in all the listings of Jesus' brothers, James is mentioned first. And in Hebrew literature, that means that he's the oldest and in charge when Jesus, who is truly the oldest, is not around. Now, in all fairness to James, if your brother gave men, he called apostles the authority to cast out demons, you might also look askance at him. Okay, that that's just, if you've ever had a brother, okay, or several the healings Jesus performed were well attested the miracles he performed were known throughout israel and still his family thought he was out of the mind out of his mind now james saw jesus as a good teacher and i should point out james is probably the most orthodox jew in jesus family he was attentive to scriptures he was the one to be found in the temple and he did not believe the stories of miracles James would not believe his older brother was the long awaited Messiah until James met his Savior after Jesus resurrection but James did not attend his older brother's crucifixion and we find that out from scripture he was not there He was so distanced from Jesus that Jesus, the older brother, in charge of the care for his mother, on the cross did not hand it off to James. He handed it off to his best friend John to take care of Mary for the rest of her life. And this would have been a real slap to James by bypassing him and his brother's against Jewish custom. But despite his unbelief, when he did believe, okay, when he finally did believe, he would not be turned away from what he knew to be true. When he met the risen Savior, that changed his life. And from the beginning of the church, James, though not an actual apostle, was numbered as one. An important leader from the very beginning of the church. And some of you women who have studied James with Aaron probably have heard some of this before, so, uh, but just bear with me. Now in this world where a son of a vice president, and now president, does business on his family name, neither James nor his brother Jude ever mentioned in their letters and probably not in their teaching, that they were related to Jesus. They both referred to themselves in remarkably similar terms. James 1.1 says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm going to put a dot, 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 an ellipsis on that. Jude 1.1 says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, you know, they didn't trade on Jesus' name. I think that they both considered that they were no more than any other believer who came to believe in Jesus. Because they did not believe at the beginning and only came to. James 1.1 1, 1 goes on, uh, he says, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, and in Jude one two it says, to those who are called. So, Remarkably similar openings. When James repented of his unbelief, his repentance was complete. He would become to be known as James the Just or simply the Just One. Even the high priests called him the Just One. They were not happy when James became a christian but he was not thrown out of the temple he was still the most orthodox jew anybody knew so he was allowed to continue and they put up with him being the, the leader of the jerusalem church remembering of course that jews at the very beginning considered themselves jews and christians but he was known as james the just or the just one the only just man in a nation that treasured justice no matter how they failed at justice's administration. His other sobriquet was Old Camel Knees. He prayed so often and when I heard this originally I thought it was because he was leading the Jerusalem church. No, he was known as Old Camel Knees before he was a Christian. So often was he in the temple praying for the repentance of the nation of Israel. It is said that he was the only man allowed to enter the temple by himself at any time, morning or night. They knew he was going to be found in the temple. He was allowed to go into the temple by himself because they knew, well, he wouldn't loot the temple. But they knew he wouldn't profane the temple. And this is, remember who's allowing this. The chief priest is allowing this. And all the high priests are allowing James unfettered access to the temple. This is who they knew him to be. Because of his piety and reputation of unwavering integrity, a number of Roman officials in Jerusalem converted to Christianity. And this was becoming a problem for the ruling Jews. So something had to be done and Eusebius is going to tell us here and I'm going to quote a portion of his writings but what happens here is that Festus the uh, Roman governor of Israel dies. We know this from scripture. It says this happened during the time after Festus dying and before the new governor could travel to Jerusalem to take up his duties. This was the time for Annas or Ananus, depending on what translation you have. Um, This is the time that Ananus picked to put James in his place. There was no Roman governor to rein in what he was going to do. This is from Eusebius, but he's paraphrasing Josephus, and I've explained to you who all those are, and they tell us what happened next, and this is from Eusebius. And I have left out parts just in brevity and it's not brief I've left out parts in brevity so if you know this section you'll know that I did that okay James and this is Eusebius reporting the brother of the Lord has been called the just from the time of our Savior to the present day and that's year 300. So for 300 years, he's been known as James the Just. As there were many rulers who believed in Jesus, there was a commotion among the Jews and scribes and Pharisees who said that there would be a danger the whole people would be looking to Jesus as the Messiah. And I have pointed out previously that we see that they did actually follow Jesus in great numbers. Coming therefore in a body to James, they said, We entreat you, restrain the people, for they are gone astray in regard to Jesus, as if he were the Messiah. We ask you to persuade all who have come to the feast of the Passover. So, now we're at the Passover in 62 A.D. The town, as I pointed out, swells to a million people from what was maybe 50,000 people. There, it swells in number for the Feast of Passover. So, all, um, we entreat you to persuade all who have come to the Feast of the Passover concerning Jesus. For we have confidence. We have confidence in you, James. We trust you, you know. We want you to speak the truth and tell these people what's going on. For we bear witness as to all the people that you are just. Okay. Therefore, persuade the multitude not to be led astray concerning Jesus. For the whole people and all of us have confidence in you. Stand, therefore, on the pinnacle of the temple that from that high position you may be clearly seen by the people. For all the tribes with the Gentiles also will come together on account of the Passover. And I went to all the Jewish writings current day to find out how high the pinnacle of the temple is. Okay? The least it would have been is about 60 feet, which is uh, uh, if you were standing on top of 60 feet, you'd be on the seventh floor. The highest you could have been. And when they say pinnacle, I want to know did they really mean the pinnacle? Because the pinnacle is 180 feet high. Okay? Of the temple. uh, Which is do the math, 20 stories. Okay? Pretty high. But I don't think you can be heard from 20 stories up. It's going to be hard from 12. That's just me. Okay. The scribes and Pharisees, therefore, "...placed James upon the pinnacle of the temple, and cried out to him and said, You, just one, in whom um, should we all have confidence? For as much as the people are led astray after Jesus, the crucified one, declared to us, which is the gate of Jesus?" Meaning the temple area. Because there was the gate of David. There were different gates. They said, declare to us, what is the gate of Jesus? And he answered in a loud voice, Why do you ask me concerning Jesus, the Son of Man? He himself sits in heaven at the right hand of the great power and is about to come upon the clouds of heaven. Okay, this didn't go the way they wanted. And many, it says were fully convinced and gloried in the testimony of James. However, the scribes and Pharisees said to one another, We have done badly in supplying such a testimony to Jesus. Having all the people gather and having James tell them that Jesus is at the right hand of God. He said, uh, we have done badly in supplying such a testimony to Jesus. But let us go and throw him down so they may be afraid to believe him. And thus they fulfilled the scripture written in Isaiah. And it's Isaiah uh, 3.10, by the way, in the Septuagint. And you have to read the Septuagint for this version. He says, let us take away the just man because he is troublesome to us. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their doings. So that's uh, the prophecy is so, that was fulfilled. So they went up and threw down James the just from the parapet. Either, as I said, 12 stories or 20 stories. Take your pick. But it didn't kill him. So they began to stone him. But that didn't kill him. And he got to his knees and began praying for them. And the words he prayed are going to be very familiar to you. He said... He said, Lord God our Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Those are his words. And one of the priests, I'm still quoting Eusebius here, and Josephus. And one of the priests of the sons of Rechab, who are mentioned by Jeremiah the prophet, cried out saying, Stop! What are you doing? The just one prays for you. Well, they didn't stop. James suffered martyrdom. And they buried him on the spot by the temple. And his monument, as Eusebius says, still remains to this day. The temple wasn't there, but the monument to James remained. Twelve stories or twenty stories, doesn't matter. It was a miracle that James survived the fall. A commentator points out that Passover in 62 A.D., fell in the same weekly pattern as when Jesus was crucified in 30 AD. That they both died on the 14th of Nisan. um, Jesus and his brother. Okay. With that as background, we're going to get to the study of our scripture right now. Okay? Half an hour in. Verse 13a of Acts 6 reads, After they finished speaking... Okay, so in this country we used to have a tradition of equal justice under the law. And that is why the uh, statue of Lady Justice is wearing a blindfold, holding scales in her hands. Uh, This country has recently entered Banana Republic territory where prosecutors identify whom they wish to prosecute and manufacture a crime to charge him with if said prosecutorial team does not participate in the crime actually themselves. So that's just an aside. But the way justice is supposed to work is that the prosecutors lay out their charges, defendants present their best defense, and an impartial judge and jury listen. And that's important. Listen to the evidence. It says here, after they finished speaking, which means James sat there and he let everybody talk. He let the one side talk. He let the Jerusalem church talk. We have the Judaizers who were there. Jesus allowed the representatives of the Gentile converts to present what they had um, seen, what they saw God doing among the Gentile nations. He did not interrupt, but listened carefully to what Paul, Barnabas, and Peter had to say. Perhaps he listened so carefully because he had disregarded earlier in his life what Jesus had to say. That he did not pay attention to Jesus. To his everlasting, I won't say shame, but I will say regret. I'm sure he regretted those years of disregarding Jesus. Imagine living with the very God of very God your entire life, seeing his example through your youth to adulthood, and miss completely what he was saying. But it seems he learned his lesson well. You do not come to be called universally the just one by being a prejudiced judge. You don't be mourned on your death by a Pharisee priest while being stoned by other Pharisees' priests without having an extraordinary witness among them to the strength of your character. Despite James' reputation as the most orthodox of Jews, he listened carefully to the reports of the missionaries to the Gentiles before speaking. And verse 13b says, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Something about being a careful listener and not just one who wants his own opinion to hold sway is that just as you paid attention to what was said, others will also pay attention when you speak. If you're not quick to write off other people, they will give you the benefit of listening. When James the Just addressed the council of churches, those in attendance listened. Verse 14 says... This is uh, this is uh, James continuing on Simeon or Simon or Peter has related how God first visited the gentiles to take from them a people for his name. Now, as James had completely missed what Jesus ministry meant during his brother's lifetime, he had de- dedicated the rest of his life to understanding God's word what it meant for the world, and conveying this as he taught the Jerusalem church. He turns to Old Testament prophecy here, specifically the book of Amos. I have not been in Amos recently. I have read it, but I have not been there recently. But, James could quote it uh, by heart. What he quotes is not the Masoretic text, which is the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew Tanakh. And it's not exactly the Septuagint, the Greek translation. Instead, what he quotes under direction of the Holy Spirit is a paraphrase that perfectly conveys the meaning of the prophecy that he's about to share. And remember, when Jesus quoted prophecy also, he did not translate word for word i think it's more an important thing in our time when we have bibles everywhere that that we stick to the fidelity of scripture instead of the meaning of the text but neither jesus nor james found a problem with summing up in their own words what scripture said i'm not going to advocate you do it but i think we do it all the time when we're teaching children or doing other things. So anyway, verses 15 through 17 is um, from Joel in the Old Testament. And uh, it says, And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. And here's the prophecy. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, and I'm reading it that way on purpose, says the Lord who makes these things known from old. He says that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. That the tents of David, the kingdom of the nation of Israel, was in ruins was not in any doubt. They were, they had no king. Even when Herod was king, they had no king because Herod was under the Roman governor. But they have no king now. They're ruled by the hated Romans. The priests had apostatized against Judaism, starting with Solomon's temple when it was built. That was a whole travesty. Solomon's temple had been destroyed and the temple they worshipped in at this time had been built by any objective standard by somebody who was not Jewish. Uh, Herod the Great, he wasn't really Jewish. He didn't believe in Israel. Justice had been so perverted that a known innocent man The Jesus of Nazareth had been put to death at the Passover at the instigation of the Jewish leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests, the Sadducees. They all had an innocent man killed. Well, David's tents were indeed in ruins, but that's not the important part of what we're dealing with here. It's the second part of Amos' prophecy. God would restore Israel for the remnant of mankind. And that remnant is the remnant of the believers who still seeked after God and all the Gentiles called by my my name, God says. Not all the Gentile proselytes. by the way. It's not all the Gentile Greek speakers who decided to convert to Judaism. He doesn't say that they are... Anything other than Gentiles called by my name. Gentiles by themselves. Nothing added who God says he is calling. This is the gist of the prophecy that God said of old that a time would come when Gentiles would be called by his name. And that time, James is pointing out, had now arrived with the outreach to the Gentiles. That being said, James rules in verses 19 through 21. Therefore, my judgment is, and listen to this also, because this is important, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood for from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogue James has a list of those things that the Gentiles should abstain from now sexual immorality everybody you know Christians are called to be sexually pure and sexual immorality, if, if you've ever studied the Corinthian church, it was rife among the Gentile nations. And their lax sexual standards were chief among their their problems. But note what else is mentioned. Things polluted by idols. Meat that had been from strangled animals. And from eating blood. These things were rule-forbidden to Gentiles because this behavior would have offended Jewish sensibilities. Okay, Gentiles were being asked to consider their weaker brothers in these matters. How do I know that that's what was being said? Because Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians, so then about eating food that has been sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in this world. And he goes on to say, but if it offends people, still accustomed to idols, that you should not offend your weaker brother. So, James says uh, they need to change their Gentile ways recording to sexual standards. But then... They shouldn't eat blood or things strangled or meat sacrificed to idols. And basically, it was because it would upset the weaker Hebrew Christians. And so James rules, and it is just. Gentiles have been called by God's name. We already know that. We've seen Cornelius. We've seen the reactions in Cyprus and in Lystra and Derb and Iconium. A Christian's conscience is appealed to here. Abstain from that which offends or tempts a weaker brother. These rules still prevail today. Okay? Uh, This rule has not changed amongst us. If we know that something offends another brother or tempts them in a way that they should not be tempted, then you do not do that in front of them. And as I look at the world of Christianity today, where the European and the American continents are not doing so hot with their Christian walk, I look at at the continent of Africa and the joyful outburst of Christianity there among former animists, okay, that have really nothing in common with me, or, or an Asian continent turning to Jesus uh, by those raised as godless atheists in communist China. If early reign, uh, I believe it's early reign Christian church, I get their feeds, they're the, one of the churches that have been most uh, persecuted by the Chinese government. And just recently, their pastor and I've been following him this long who got sentenced to ten years in prison for an illegal house church has been released ten years later that's how long I've been listening following early reign but in Japan or Korea, Buddhist or uh, Confucianists uh, turning to uh, to Christ. Uh, Korea, especially Japan, has a little bit more of a problem in that. But former Hindus in India, or former, I was going to say Islams, I'm going to call them Mohammedans, uh, old-fashioned term, in Pakistan, or in the Middle East, in Saudi Arabia, and places like that, turning to Christ from cultures that we don't understand. And I look at this, and I don't see it as anything but a blessing and a plus, even if their cultures are foreign to me. God has called all the Gentile nations to him. And you're a Gentile, not just if you were a Greek or a Roman, but you're a Gentile if you were a Buddhist, or a communist, or a Mohammedan. God has called all Gentile nations to him and in Christian charity and conscience we all fit together in the kingdom of God foretold by Amos and the other prophets of the one true God. Brothers, listen to me. All the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord compose the remnant of mankind let's close in prayer